Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. On the show today, testing is officially done. Who's hot? Who's not? With just one more week to go until the first Grand Prix of the year. Remember, if you want to send us a question, you can do so in the form of a voice note. If you like, do it on your phone. You can email us. It's podcast at crash.net, along with your name and where you're from. Keep it to 30 seconds and we'll get you on the show. You can also write us a question as well if you don't want a voice note. Right. The recording day is Monday the 13th of March. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as ever is Crash MotoGP editor Pete McLaren. And what should you be this week? Should we just go with former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Ewan? We'll, we'll go with that Motor, one. If you missed last Motor week. Motor mouth. <laughs> Motor mouth. Exactly. If you missed the last week, Keith had become a MotoGP champion. Uh, but anyway, back to reality this time. Uh, and testing is done, isn't it? And Pete, you've been all over this uh, over the weekend. Long days, long hours. Um, let's start with uh, Honda, actually, because there's been a little little bit of noise coming out from Mark Marquez. How have Honda fared in this final test? We've spoken about it left, right and centre. It is a crucial year for him and the team. It, it is, yeah. I mean, it, so obviously coming into this test, he'd had those four bikes at Sepang, didn't he? He had loads of different things to try. He picked one of them. They came into this track, obviously with some other new parts. Now, the bad thing is that the new things, if you like, the new things for Portimao didn't seem to work. And he, he ended up preferring the bike as it was at the end of the Sepang test. The one thing that he got to do for the first time during this winter was actually work on the same bike. Because he's been trying so many different things all the time, he's barely had a chance to actually work on the setup and do a race simulation, a sprint race simulation, 12 laps, even for his physical fitness, you know, is something that he said was important. So, yeah, I mean, it was a... You know, he's still down the order. Where is he? 14th, I think, 15th. The Hondas, they, they haven't really changed. We were debating, weren't we, after Sepang? Is it Honda that or KTM that had playing catch-up? But the bottom line is, both of them were a long way behind the other three manufacturers, if you like, especially the Ducatis and the Aprilias. It seems pretty much the same situation at the moment. And, uh, yeah, no no massive breakthrough, basically, for Marc Marquez at this test. But he's Marc Marquez. And, uh, you know, his race simulation, it was only about three or four tenths off, off the Ducatis. So he's definitely close over a race distance. But uh, yeah, long way to go. Struck me that um, I don't think they went for the old lap at the end of the day, like we see so many go for the Banzai lap at the end of a test, just to kind of get that pecking order sorted out. And I don't think Honda did that. I think they were still working through their program. So I'm not sure that we're going to get what we've got from the Portuguese test. A, a, the kind of level playing field that we've got where he's gone for the last couple of laps, stuck a tyre in it and really, really gone Banzai. Um, like Brad Binder, for instance, on the KTM. I mean, they, he really, really went for it. He said, I had to work hard to get that time to to bring KTM up into a reasonable order. 
it's a snapshot that really isn't very relevant when we get to sprint races and main races. And I think the Honda are still there or thereabouts. I think I think Marquez is going to be there or thereabouts uh, come the day of reckoning because he just manages to pull something out of the bag. But it's still not a happy Honda camp, is it? And to a certain extent, Yamaha as well. You mentioned that the Honda had gone back to, to previous settings, a bit of a default mode. Well, so did Yamaha. You know, Cotteraro, you know, wasn't going the way he wanted it to go for Yamaha and um, slowly but surely they went back to where they were before and he went faster and brought himself back into the reckoning at Portimao. Is Portimao a great test track for the rest of the season? Not in my view. There's nothing much else like it. I think we went through this last time, Pete, when you went, you got the Saxon ring aligned with Portimao. <laughs> Two pretty tricky tracks, there's no doubt about it. So I, I just don't think we're getting a, a, a clear view apart from the fact that Ducati are streets ahead of everybody else. It, it certainly looks that way, right? But it just even with Marc Marquez and him being Marc Marquez, he's already playing things down, as you probably might expect, saying, you know, we're not, we can't be looking at podiums. We're, we're looking at fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. But Keith, I mean, this is Marc Marquez. Can he get a Honda to the top step of the podium this year? Well, I would normally say yes, um, but I just think that in the last two years, things have, have just gone so far. You know, we've got so many good riders on good bikes, particularly Ducati. You've only got to look, and now Aprilia have come into the into the fray as mm. well with, with all the new aero. I mean, the gadgets they bolted to that bike over in Portugal. I wouldn't have said that Portugal was the place for testing aero, but they tried fork deflectors. They tried, you know, ground effect deflectors and swinging arm deflectors. And, I mean, they've been spending some time in the old aero tank there's no doubt about that and you've got to say that they are right on it this year i mean the little factory that would be considered to be quite a small factory compared with ducati but really bringing some innovation to the to the track and looking good with it as well that as we said in several podcasts and everybody said that watches this that, that knows a bit about motorbike racing they're the ones to watch out for and not just the factory side either it could be the independent team that does the business Totally. We'll, we'll, we'll come on to them in a little bit. You mentioned Yamaha, though, as well. And uh, Pete, before you talk us through the Yamaha's day, because it seems like things might have turned around a bit. Dean sent in a question, which I think is fairly relevant. So we'll play that out now. Hi, Harry, Keith, Pete. Hope you're all doing well. Here's my question. Do you think that Yamaha will be able to rectify the issues that happen with the rear tyre over the qualifying lap? And will they have to in the future, dramatically change their engine configuration to maybe a V4 to keep up the likes of Ducati? Or would they change, considering the Yamaha has always stuck with what they know and the smooth power delivery of the inline four? Cheers, guys. Well, the inline four has done them well over a lot of years, hasn't it? And it's only they're, they're only getting windy about it all now because they're the only ones left with an inline four after Suzuki bailed. <laughs> um, Suzuki were getting the kind of power they wanted out of their bike at that particular time as well. And now that we've got a a few changes in um, structure behind the scenes. Perhaps Yamaha will do some catching up. But I still go back to the, the the fact is there is not enough testing time for these factories to get things right, to make major changes. And Pete has said many, many times, at the end of this particular raft of rules, we are coming very soon to a time when changes can be made. And I think that, that's, that when we get to that point, that's when we're going to see whether Yamaha are going to change their uh, tradition, if you like. Mm. that's it isn't it Keith I mean they've got so much knowledge of this engine so to then it's not just a case of oh, okay just change the engine and, and that's it they'd have to really start from zero and, and you couldn't do it overnight and, and so they really are probably better off sticking with what they know they brought in some outside uh, you know consultants Luca Marmarini have 
to help with the power. Seems like they've got a bit more power. Okay, they're not going to be they're not going to be blasting past the Ducatis, but they're certainly a lot closer. And and you know, Quattararo's goal was to be able to fight, wasn't it? That's what he wanted, and it looks like that's what he's got. So, um, as you say, Keith, the, the Suzuki engine was good on top speed, wasn't it? There's no reason why the Yamaha can't be as well. And uh, yeah, I, I think it would be such a it would be a huge decision to change to a V4 for Yamaha, and, and it would just take them. They'd have to be so certain. They'd almost have to develop a parallel project, so they'd have to have it running alongside the inline four project so that they could switch over and have it at a high level. And that's a massive amount of investment to make, isn't it? We've said before, factories don't have money to just sort of throw around anymore. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think it makes sense for, for various reasons for them to stick with the engine that they know. And there's a, there's a bit of a quote from Lynn Jarvis, a bit of a joke of, yes, we are the only one with the inline four engine now. We're the only one with the advantages of the inline four engine now as well. So um, yeah, you point. can look at it either way. You know, yeah, that's it. I mean, a lot of it comes down to when, I, when I've spoken to people about engine configurations, they say, look, it comes down to the, almost the, the, the ethos of the company. If, you, if, you're, if you're Honda or Ducati, they will make an engine with, with high top speed, whether it's an inline four, a V4, whatever, because that's just what they do. That's what they're experts at. It's what they prioritize. And if you look at the other companies, they, they, they sort of pride themselves and their focus and know-how is more on the handling side, the Yamahas and Suzukis. You could take that example with KTM. They've got the steel frame. But again, they've got so much knowledge of the steel frame, haven't they? And they've made it work. They've won races. So it's, it's, it's a really difficult decision to make. And I think, you know, all things considered, they'd be better off sticking with what they've got. And there's a lot of changes coming. I mean, this, this new ECU, it's, you know, it's sort of got brushed under the carpet a bit, the ECU. But the fact is, it's got so much more capacity for, for information, for the speed of an ECU, to be able to, to, to utilise all that extra information they're going to be able to use as well. That's going to make a difference as the year moves on. Yamaha are behind on the aero war that's gone on. I mean, it looks like Aprilia and Ducati particularly have, have stolen that particular march. Yamaha never wanted to get involved in an aero war, did they? I mean, at the end of the day, they, 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 it costs a fortune and they don't naturally have that kind of facility to, to be able to enhance that area. And that it's a big area and it's made such a massive difference over this last two years. Um, Yamaha are behind on that. You know, what will happen with aero as we move forward? I wonder. What, what, what's the feedback, Pete, from this gigantic rear wing that they've stuck on the back of that Yamaha over, it's over got the test? Deliveroo sponsorship on the back. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it, it was the classic, uh, you, know, you know, well, it was actually what Aprilia said about, about their latest version of their rear wing as well, which is not quite as dramatic. That really does look like a mini sort of F1 wing. Mm. But the, the box, if you like, on the back of the Yamaha, yeah, you know, some, some positives, some negatives, but didn't improve really but it was quite funny Quattro did admit that his mechanics said look sorry but we hope it doesn't work <laughs> the point being it comes back to Dean's question doesn't it about rear rear tire grip and the like it's trying to keep that thing on the floor in the braking area and to try and find that little tiny little tiny bit extra in in braking I mean this is where Ducati have always been very very strong on the brakes into into a turn so it's again it, it, it looks horrible but then again you couldn't say that Ducati was pretty <laughs> Could you? I was just going to say, Dion has said, have MotoGP bikes become so aero-dependent that passing has become almost impossible unless attempted in a straight line? What would it take for manufacturers to go back to bikes without this much aero? It would take a hell of a lot because basically we've already had that where people have tried to dump their aero to find out where they are without aero and it's all gone gone pear-shaped. The fact is, is that... Is, lap times are so tight we were at three decimal places and they're all on it i mean you've got and looking down the top speed list here 
um, before we came on air a minute ago. And I mean, there are there, there are bikes that are absolutely equal to three decimal points on top speed, you know, as they've gone through the trap. It's that tight. I don't think necessarily it's the aero. You remember, you know, I think Bradley Brad Smith was was saying that um, the aero is so interferes so much when you get within another motorbike. Um, at places like Phillip Island, where you're coming onto the straight really fast, and you've got that massively quick right-hander off of um, the Gardner Straight, Doans at um, at uh, Phillip Island, and the buffeting that you're getting. But you've always had that to an extent when you're around another motorbike, even if you go back in the day, because there's a lot of air and turbulence that's going on around a motorcycle. What we've done is we've got ourselves in a position that Formula One got themselves in a while ago, and you, you had to come up with some bloody thing where you had a letterbox in the back called DRS to, to be able to make a pass, which to me has always been a bit of a cheat. Yeah, it makes it makes the fact that you can make a pass, but it just seems wrong that the guy behind has got like another gear to go by you um, just because you can't pass anywhere else. Is that the way we want to go? No, definitely don't want to be going that way. Um, but as soon as you interfere, as soon as you have aero and, and t- lap times that are so incredibly tight, you are going to get less passing because it is going to be harder to do. Some tracks you can make it work, other tracks you can't. Look at Valencia at the end of every year. I mean, it's a nightmare there. You know, you've fought you know, line astern for for most of the of, of the race. It's a shame, but that's the way some tracks make it work. So I think it's the competitiveness of every motorbike, all of them being so close, so tight on time, that makes passing that much more tricky anyway because you've got nobody that's got any kind of advantage anywhere on the racetrack looking at the the split times i know i'm a sad sod but i've been looking at all the split times this morning as well each sector through portugal blimey they're so tight they really are and nobody's got an ideal lap even bangaya hasn't got an ideal lap at the top of it because quattararo interfered in a in a couple of sectors um to, mm. to steal those sectors for for his times it's very tight very very tight i, I think Pete, can you download this stuff on MotoGP.com? The, 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 I think you can, can't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my recommendation then to everybody at home that's listening to me waffling on about the paperwork, go and have a look. If it's on MotoGP.com, which I think it is, because I've pulled it off of there and I'm not, I've not got a membership in MotoGP.com, so I'm just like anybody else, just a, a tight-fisted punter. Excuse me. <laughs> you can download the stuff, and it is really, really useful. It gives you some understanding of what's going on on the racetrack without being there sometimes you can see all the split times for every single rider and it's very very useful if you're going to follow it in depth like that and that's every single racetrack as well whenever we go anywhere you'll always get those splits for um for, for timing very useful i think that's a good point you make keith about how close it is i think not only in, in making passing harder but almost it's made the aerodynamics the ride height device the whole shot device it's the closest of the competition that's kind of made those things come into the sport because uh, I've talked to someone and he said, look, 10 years ago when the gaps were bigger, you wouldn't bother putting a whole shot device on for the risk of it going wrong because the rider would make up more gain, you know, than, than you might get from the whole shot device. So you'd just be inviting more problems. And again, with the aerodynamics, you'd be messing up the setup when really, if you just focused on getting the bike working for the way the rider liked, they give you more than you'd get from that. But now suddenly it's so close that all those things that you might have said, no, it's not worth the risk or it's not worth the complexity. Suddenly those things can win you races because you only need You say, well, what are the time sheets in Porto Mario? Top 19 within one second or something? I mean, so a tenth of a second might be one or two places forward. Mm. Bottom line, though, can we say, coming back to, to Yamaha specific, ha- has there been an improvement from this test to the last? Are they in a better place? Yeah, they're in a better place, but then again, everyone is. At the end of the day, it's all relative, isn't it? Everyone else has gone that step as well. So Yamaha, you know, it's all very well making a step, but um, is it big enough? That's going to be the question. Over 
the amount of races we've got this year. Forty-two races. Ha. I always forget. I always forget that actually, God, there's going to be so much, so much <laughs> racing to talk about. I don't even know. We're going to have to do a sprint race podcast version, uh, a much shorter one, thirty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Speak twice as quick. Yeah, yeah it was um, interesting. For Quattararo said he said he felt at one with the bike again. And I think whenever you hear a rider like Quattararo or Marquez or you know one of those guys who goes, you know what, I'm I'm really feeling good on the bike again. That's when I think the ears of, the, of your rivals sort of prick up a little bit because everyone mm-hmm. knows what they can do. And so that, but as Keith says, he got that step, if you like, by going backwards, by taking off some of the modif- modifications, go, go basically mixing the uh, last year's aero and chassis probably because it was the old settings, he said, with the new engine. So that's what, what worked for him. He said he, he almost thinks they changed too much. The Yamaha, as we pointed out many times on here, really didn't change over three years previously. It was the same bike, same bike, same bike. And then he, he said it's, it's almost like they tried to make all of those changes that should have been sort of introduced incrementally in one go this winter. And it just, you know, it just upset things a little bit. And he didn't, he was fighting the bike. He had the problems with the rear tire that, that's been highlighted, all these kind of things. So by just sort of knocking it back a bit and, and, and sort of combining some of what they know works with, with the new engine, Quattararo certainly, I mean, he, he, massive step was his words. He looked good on the race pace. On the other hand, Morbidelli is still at the bottom of the timesheets, but Morbidelli, it seems, was still running the new aero. So, you know, I don't know why he, I, I, my understanding is he didn't, and certainly when he spoke to the media, he didn't try the, the you know, the, the, the package that Quattararo used of the last year's fairing because he was still using even newer parts, as he says, of loads of aero parts there, little pods on the side of the 2023 fairing. So, but a big decision there now because he's got to homologate something, isn't he, for the first race? So does he go with Quattararo's fairing or does he go with the new fairing? You know, difficult for me. Yamaha temperament has got a lot to do with what's going on at the moment, and Yamaha temperament is not perhaps in as good a place as others. In that Quattararo is quite excitable about stuff. You know, you see emotion. Morbidelli hasn't really been a hundred percent Franco Morbidelli for some time. And you only need the slightest thing eating away at you that you, the bike isn't quite there or isn't quite how you want it. It's good to hear Quattararo say that he's happy and comfortable on it. But then again, Quattararo, you know, occasionally, I won't say he blows hot and cold, but something, a minor version of hot and cold, you know, he gets excited about stuff each way. You know, if it doesn't quite work that way at the next round, then maybe we'll see a slightly different Quattararo. I think Paulie Mao on an inline four is quite good fun. The Yamaha works really well around there, and it's quite a fun bike to ride by the look of things. Um, but then again, you've got Bang Naya turning around and saying, unlike last year, I mean, there was 91 points Bang Naya was given away in the middle of the season, and he won the championship. Um, I'd be extremely worried when someone like Bang Naya is turning around and saying they are 100% there. They're bang on this year. The bike is spot on. You know, when some, somebody like Bang Naya is saying that, Blimey, it makes you want to pack your locker and go home already. <laughs> I mean, he couldn't have asked for much more, could he? I mean, Pecco Bagnaia, interesting. Jack Miller obviously knows Pecco well from their years at Ducati. He said, you know what? Pecco's a changed man this year. And there is something different about him. I thought this when I saw him at Sepang. I obviously seen him since Valencia when he had all the stress of the championship. He just looks much more happy in himself, relaxed, confident. And confident was the Because he's a world champion. Well, no, because the bike's working. <laughs> I mean, Wow. Yeah, exactly. Everything, I think. I think it's, and yeah, and that's exactly, as Keith said, that's what Miller picked up on as well. He said he's someone who's got a lot of confidence in his bike. 
And he just seems in a fantastic place now. I mean, with Bastianini coming in, we weren't sure, were we? Will this guy who caused him so many problems in, in races last year come in and just sort of immediately rock the boat, if you like? But really, it's been a, a, a faultless and, and, and perfect season for Pecco. Yeah, Bastianini's um, still going to rock the boat. That's happening. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, is it? Do you think? Is he? Is yeah, are there going to be fireworks? I think with forty-two races, we have got a long way to go. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's comebacks. You can make a comeback with that many races. You might not have the sharpest of starts to a season, but when you've got forty-two races, okay, some of them are only scoring half points. But the fact of the matter is, you've got. You know, there was an opportunity last year. Who'd have thought it last year? Ninety-one points deficit, and he came back to win the title. And that's on 21 races. This year, you've got 21 races plus 21 half races, which is giving you half points. But it's still a lot of points. So there's there's a real opportunity to turn your season around and snatch a championship, even when you think you got it won. You know, it's a uh, injury is a major factor. There are going to be injured riders this year. It is going to be intense out there. I mean, Leisha Spargo has already picked, you know, he hasn't even got an injury. It's just something that's that's, that's nagging at him, and he's going to be the first man that's had an operation this year before we get to Portugal. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it will make a huge difference. And I think as well, Aprilia are going to interfere with all of these guys. I just feel that Aprilia are on a roll at the minute. You know, and well, they've got some Aprilia, good runners, Keith. four of them now, that are, that are going to be there or thereabouts. Um, well, go on, on Aprilia then, Keith. The, the, this this uh, RNF, but there's there's... There's hype around Aprilia in general, but it, it, it's it's the it's the little team that seems to have the the bigger hype at the moment. Well, the factory's behind them at the end of the day, and you know the the factory, you know, small factories are swift on their feet. They'll make changes. They'll they'll try and make things work for them. You know, when you've got a much bigger, I mean, can you imagine what it's like at Ducati back at the factory now? The amount of bikes, the amount of yeah. spares, the amount of data. Yeah. And with the the ECUs being able to chuck out more data, hold on to more data, faster data coming. I don't know how that all equates. I'm an absolute bloody Luddite compared with, with these guys. But at the end of the day, data is everything in, in motor racing of any kind, two-wheel or four-wheel. You are collecting all that data. You are disseminating that data to make a better machine, to make a better effort of what you're doing. When you've got eight bikes out on the track with six of them capable of winning you know, GPs, that's a big advantage. I don't care what anybody says. You can't play it down. It's a big advantage. And now that Aprilia have got four bikes out there with guys capable on them as well, that makes a big difference. I'm poor old Yamaha. I'm beginning to feel sort of sorry for Lynn Jarvis and co because, you know, a couple of bikes out there, everyone calling them old-fashioned and, you know, they've got to change their configuration to make it work and everything. I still reckon Quattararo is going to be there or thereabouts, though. I think he learned a lot last year. I think... You know, last year was one of them ones where it was a bit, a bit like the Jaws music, wasn't it? He was getting caught every single round, every single round. Somebody was, you know, snapping at his backside. And slowly but surely, he lost the championship. Um, he'll have learned a lot of how to deal with himself inwardly, how to be stronger as a person on that motorbike and make it work. Um, so I'm, I'm not writing Quattararo off. At your peril. Well, God, Pete, let's do a bit more on Aprilia then. How were their numbers looking in general? As he says, the problem is that Aleish, with his arm, he didn't do any sort of long... He was just doing short runs. So he was the, their quickest rider. I mean, it's, it's a good thing to bring up because if you look at the timesheets, the Aprilia were quite a long way down from where they were at Sepang. I mean, they were, they were, they were the guys that were breaking into the Ducati deadlock at the front, weren't they? It mm. was uh, uh, Vinales and, and Aspargo were the only guys to sort of break up that top, uh, top eight or nine Ducatis. This time, it was only Quattararo who got in there and broke up the Ducatis. But again, you know... 
they, they were all very happy. All of the Aprilia riders were happy with their speed, happy with their pace. Oliveira, for example, he when he did his, his uh, sprint race simulation, he did it with a full tank of fuel. Now, that obviously changes things massively because for a sprint race, you only need half the amount, but they wanted to know what does the bike feel like on a full tank of fuel for the main race. So his numbers look artificially low because of that. Um, Raul Fernandez, really quick. I mean, he, okay, he only did eight laps in a row, but top five sort of pace. I mean, up there with the sort of the satellite Ducatis just behind um, the race simulations, if you like, in a nutshell, it was Bagnaia at the top, again, as he was with everything, and then sort of Bastianini and Quattararo. And then there was a whole group of people after that that included the Aprilias of uh, the RNF guys and things like that. So, yeah, they look, but the RNF guys are looking, obviously, on the 22 bike, they're looking really strong. I mean, Ralph Fernandez, he said, yeah, he's, he's looking forward to a great season. Oliveira, home hero, of course, uh, at Portimao, so he'll have loads of, uh, of support. Well, he had it for the test already, but he will for the race weekend. He's won there already, dominated the, the first event that MotoGP had there. So, yeah, don't rule him out either. I mean, uh, I think both of those guys. I mean, and RNF, of course, they're the team that had the breakthrough year with Yamaha, with Cotterar and Morbidelli. So they know what it's like to have guys who sort of, you know, get everything together and suddenly are fighting at the front. One of the things they're going to have to do, and this is where the team uh, strategy and team stress comes into it, is they've not got to make mistakes. We've seen the odd mistake over the years made by factories and satellite teams that this year it's got to be <laughs> a bit Formula One, I've got to say. No mistakes. It's got to be absolutely pinpoint on it. Their strategy has got to be pinpoint. Their Everything to do with everything has got to be smack on it this year. And the, the stress and, well, the absolute deb debilitating um, year that they've got coming their way is going to make a difference. There, there is going to be a lot of people under a lot of pressure. And it's going to be seen to see whether the mistakes come not from the riders so much, but whether it comes from the teams. It will be fascinating. Who, who have we not done? KTM. We haven't covered them, have we? What, what's the KTM sitch, Pete? Uh, yeah, it was another tough one, really. I mean, um, as, as I was saying, they were sort of battling with Honda, if you like, at the back of the pack after Sepang. That's how it looked. And really, it wasn't. It was a continuation of that, you might say. Um, it, to be honest, they're in a similar sort of position to Honda in that they were they're a lot of new parts. They need to select the ones they want to use and then search for a setup. But they seem to be a bit further along that road, if you like, in that they sort of picked the parts after Sepang. And so they were quite confident of now, right, Two days here, let's, you know, apart from a bit of error testing, let's really get things working. But yeah, uh, Brad Binder, who was their, their top guy, and as Keith said, pulled out a real, I think he used in, insane lap was the word he used. So it was a real <laughs> on the edge I'll lap. tell you what, if Brad um, Binder is using the word insane, you know it was. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's struggling for rear grip. The problem they've got is that he asked, well, what they all wanted was a bike that turned better. The bike now turns better, but it's lost rear grip. So it's that classic case of you, you know, you, you make the bike better in one area and, and, it, and it sort of loses ground in another. So that's what he, that's where they're struggling, basically. They need rear grip. And um, yeah, I mean, Jack Miller, obviously new to the bike. He, you know, he's optimistic. He's making big steps. But as he said, you know, when people are knocking chunks out of the lap record, he said, you look at your lap time and think, oh yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a decent lap time. You know, found a second from yesterday. And he said, then you see where you are on the timesheet. And you realize what you, you've still got to do. But yeah, I mean, he's, they're all sort of optimistic as you would be when the lap times are so close, because if they just, all of the, all of the riders and teams, if they just make everything 
click together in place, they can have a good result. But the reality is there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. Yeah, if you're half a second or behind after one lap, then in 20 laps or 22 laps or 24 yeah. laps, add them all up. It's a big distance. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What was interesting for me as well out of Portimao was that that, that you know, the right-hander onto the front straight it's how you get off of that corner as well. The top speeds, top speeds, even top speeds, I don't trust them when it's at somewhere like Portimao because you've got to get it hooked up. You've got to make it work down that front straight. And, I mean, Mark Marquez, top speed on that Honda was, was really, really good. He was getting it hooked up compared with all the other Hondas at one point. It makes a big difference. Hey, a single lap on your own is so different from, a, from an absolute melee of MotoGP bikes. You know, once they're all over each other, and you know, we talked about aero earlier, where does it interfere with each other? Is it more difficult? And it will be, of course. And you've got that drop-off at the end of the straight of Portugal as well, into Turn 1, which is an absolute nightmare of a corner because, you know, you're going to have people dive under you, and if you try and take a safe line, they're going to ride around you. It's a really tricky corner. And right where that thing drops off into the into the braking zone, that's just where you can lock it up and lose the front end. It's really, really difficult racetrack. So there's, there's a lot at stake in Portugal, that sprint race. I'm bloody. I'm sweating on my palms thinking about that sprint race. Juan <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mir just an interesting snippet talking about the, the, the that part of the track. You know that. He knows it well. He was saying that uh, yeah, the torque delivery on the Honda completely different to the Suzuki, and so he was weeding over the crest. Uh, and, and to bring the wings into this, he was saying, now, once you start to wheelie with the wings, of course, the angle changes and they get the wind under them. It takes a long time to bring the front wheel down again. And so he, he said, it's a, you have to look at things like where you change gear, where, you know, you know, get everything right. 
over that crest to get your drive perfectly. And as he said, with the Honda, he's having to sort of relearn how the engine behaves just for that one that one section of the track. Well, you've got that. So every single track we go to is going to have those little nuances that are going to be different. I'm thinking of Mugello when you come over the top of the hill there at 225 mm-hmm. miles an hour. You know, later and later and later braking. At one point, you had to brake on that hill almost, and that, that, that meant the front end was light. Remember when Marquez lost the front and it, it all went pear-shaped to 200 mile an hour there. It's, it's, it's going to be a situation where you're going to be trying to get over the hill and get it all stable before you hit the brakes <laughs> or, or roll it just a little bit before. There's no one going to roll it a little bit before, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, every single racetrack we go to now, the improvements they've made in these tests and looking at these times that we're doing in Portugal this week, every track we go to is going to be like rewriting the book. They're all going to be looking at where though that arrow is going to give them that advantage to be able to work a little bit better, a little bit faster into a corner. And all the time that they're getting quicker into a corner, the velocity on the way in is going to bring into play, is that corner safe anymore? And while we're on the course of safety, I wonder if the tractors are out at Portimao at the moment for the the rocks, the the bloody building site that's in the gravel traps. That's been a real bone of contention for anybody who's been rolling over it. The rocks are like half brick size when they should be between 8 and 20 mil. I mean, there, there is an actually a, a graded size of, of of gravel that should be in the, the, the runoff areas. And Portimao have got like um, builder's yard bricks in the in the in the gravel traps that are bloody sore. I don't know. And, and worse still, if you get one pinged at you, if there's one off the off the track on on the racing line, it flies through your your visor or something. It's uh, so apparently they're changing the gravel traps. That is a massive job. Massive job there. I, I, I can't imagine how many thousands of square meters of, of gravel that have got to be changed. Um, but that's a big, big, big job. Um, and they've got to do it before we get to racing in a week's time, apparently. Yep. And that's exactly why Digi Antonio missed the final day because of those the, exactly what you're talking about, Keith, isn't it? The, the gravel. I mean, it, he, he slid off on day one, nothing accident, he said, low side into the gravel, into the rocks. And, and just got completely battered. His helmet was, you know, it looked like it had been shot with a shotgun or something. I mean, paint stripped off it. I mean, it just, and, and yeah, concussion. So ruled out of not only the last day of the test, but also, as he said, he's going to miss a couple of days of training now because he's, you know, you've got to, you've got to give yourself a bit of time before you get back on a bike, whether it's even a motocross bike for training. So, yeah, he was really angry about the, about the, uh, the size of the gravel. I think it might have been changed for turn one already, but... Other parts of the track is still to be done, and and Aleish was was sort of furious about it as well. He said, "Look, we've been talking about this for years, it ne- but it never happens." So, well, I, you yeah, know, it's been spoken about a lot. I'd, I'd like to know more about that, Pete. I mean, I really would like to know why that doesn't happen. I mean, we have a safety, com- you know, safety meeting, safety committee meeting after every on every Friday of every every Grand Prix. I mean, if that's been a, I I. I'm in the Portugal in God knows how long, so I've no no idea of the of the gravel tracks. But when I used to be at a racetrack, I would walk the track every Wednesday, again on Thursday, and I'd look at stuff like that. You'd look at you know, and that's as a as a commentator, you'd look at the transition for the curbs. Where can somebody grab a bit of inside curb? What curbs have got you know really good paint on them that you're going to get a bit of a launch off? What what is possible? And that's from a commentary point of view. So you know damn well, team management, team riders team personnel are all out walking running cycling the track are looking at the same stuff so how does this go on for until somebody gets battered by a half house brick i mean it just doesn't seem i i I fail to understand how this happens sometimes I, i really don't quite get it how we 
all walk the track, see the track, know the track, and yet don't see something like that and the possibilities that are in it. It, It's kind of beggar's belief, really, for me. But anyway, it's a a subject now, and hopefully the good old... I mean, it's a great racetrack, and it's a a great management. It's a great, you know, uh, promoter. But um, somehow they've not been given either the ultimatum or the the impetus to to make the change. It's going to be a costly change and and a lot of effort to make it work. Um, But they shouldn't have been let off. should have been done at the end of last year. I don't get it. Yeah, uh, do you remember last year Pekka Banyai fell off and, and sort of picked up some gravel and we were all going, what, what's he doing when he, when he went back to the pits? And people were saying, is it like a superstition or something? And it was, to sh- it was because he was showing the team, look at the size of these things, because it was damaging the bikes when they fell off as well. And then you had Jack Miller saying, I think he, he said, oh, they just want to get a rock crusher in there and just crush them up a bit. And, you know, I, I know someone that could do that yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> He'll do it, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, his, his dad's big in that kind of uh, industry, isn't he, in the mine. Oh, okay. They know about all that kind of stuff. I mean, Jack Miller's from from, from an area of, of of that kind of stuff. Mind you, I, could, I reckon Jack Miller could crush it in his teeth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, look, hopefully they get the gravel situation sorted. But as you say, it's uh, a lot of time, not a lot of time they've got to do that. Um, and Keith, I'm very wary that you said, obviously, Portimao is a bit of an outlier in terms of track. How can we really know the order? But I would like from both of you what you think the competitive order is for Portimao. But race one, list them all, please. I want to, I want top to bottom. What manufacturer or rider? Yeah, manufacturer. No, rider will take too long. Ma- yeah, well, obviously, there you go. Shock. But uh, who after Ducati, who have you got? Uh, after Ducati, well, it's still going to be the Yamaha. I think Quattararo is going to enjoy riding Portimao, and I think the Yamaha will work all right there. I mean, I think that. After that, it's a, it's a bit of a nightmare, isn't it, really? Because I can see the Aprilias being somewhere thereabouts, but only if Aleish is fit. Why do you make us do this at the start of the season? <laughs> well, this is an e- next week's even harder. Go on, Pete. You must have some insight. Uh, again, it's, it's like what we did at Sabang. The trouble is, if you look at the top right, like guys like Marquez and Quattararo, they oh, yeah. sort of, you know, the you know, do you separate them from the bike? Yeah, I mean... Obviously, Ducati, number one. Every rider was saying, you know, the Ducati's the bike to beat. So we could cross that one off the yeah. list. I mean, I, I think probably, I, I'd probably still put a pretty above Yamaha if you take out the Quattararo side to it. Uh, yeah, I think okay. it's Quattararo on the Yamaha again, because Morbidelli is, is 19th, 20th. Mm. But, but again, it, it's... Uh, and then you have the same thing with the Honda. Mark, do you sort of, you know... Well, you've got Miguel know. Oliveira. Think... You've got to consider Miguel Oliveira here at this racetrack, haven't you? I mean, if he puts it together, yeah, I mean, Miguel Oliveira could pull off something a bit special. I just love how you can't I, actually I think, can't I think give a list. <laughs> you can't have a list. I think, I think this is outdated. <laughs> Making predictions. Because, yeah, Aprilia, Honda, KTM are all a bit together. But then I would put, I'd put Honda plum last, even with Marquez. Maybe let's do, you know what, let's do overall... <laughs> general like get rid of marquez get rid of quattararo just the general bike where do you think okay so we, so basically we have to imagine if you put the same rider yes, on every bike yes right that okay, would have been okay. better editorially god <laughs> right okay same rider on every bike order ducati at the top ducati yes okay. ducati then uh i go ducati aprilia yamaha honda ktm okay okay 
Interesting. But you could argue most of those. What would you say? Would you agree with that, Keith? No, I'll go Ducati, Yamaha, Aprilia still. I think uh, I, I think Aprilia dropped the ball a bit too many times last year for me. So mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna go Ducati, Yamaha, Aprilia. Um, <laughs> and then <laughs> Honda, KTM. Yeah. KTM. Well, they've got a bit of work to do, haven't they? Um, all right. We'll see if that comes true. We're going to do our pro- we'll do our proper predictions next week uh, in the preview. I'm but- not here next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anything else worth noting, Pete, from fallout from testing? Uh, so what is that? So obviously the big question is the lace that we've talked about. Is mm. he going to have this surgery? If he does, it'll probably be recording this on Monday. It will be today. You'll want to get it out of the way as soon as possible. A weird one, really. Obviously, riders getting arm pump is nothing unusual. But as he said, it, while the symptoms are the same as arm pump, i.e. the arm is going dead, um, the trouble is it's not like arm pump, which kind of builds up. Um, you know, you, you usually it's have to ride it. Isn't it? It's a stiffening of the, of, the, of the wounds that he's got in his arm. Yeah, and it's happening as soon as he goes out the pits. That's mm. the bit that make, that he's a little bit worried about because it's not like normal arm pump. But yeah, so there is, yeah, there's scarring, fibrosis that's pressing the muscle is what he thinks. Almost like he said he's had an accident, but he can't remember hitting it or anything. But that's mm. almost as if it's occurred suddenly like that. And of course, but, uh, yeah, the more that they have aero, the harder they are into corners. The faster they're going, the more physical it becomes and the more this stuff comes to the fore. You know, if you've got a slight injury, um, it will be niggling all year long. I mean, it's going to be a problem for him now, right at the very beginning of an absolutely frantic year and he's he's having surgery. Yeah, we always talk about surgery and stuff like this, like, oh, yeah, he's going to, you know, he'll be back next week and all the rest of it. Anybody out there that's not had their arm opened up and everything fiddled around with and stitched up internally and then stitched up outside has no clue as to how bloody painful that is. And when you're sweating in your leathers and so all your wound is sticking to the inside of your leathers and every time your leathers move a little bit, it pings them off. So any any scabs that are growing on there or any stitches that are sticking out are catching on everything. You have no idea how bloody painful it is. I, I'm always amazed how riders, team members, and particularly the public, obviously, because perhaps they've not had as many injuries as, as some of these guys have had during the course of things, how they just roll with it, how they just, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a mental thing, kind of ignore it and it will go away. But it bloody don't. <laughs> I've had some fairly minor injuries <laughs> and they're horrible, particularly ones that ooze. <laughs> I, I've, always oh. hated, I've always hated things that ooze because it always sticks inside your clothing and stuff like that. And you can never really, you can't get your clothing off properly because it's all stuck to you. And that's without the fact that it's invasive. <laughs> that it's not just on the outside yeah. where you've scratched yourself. It's, uh, it's, internally right inside your arm or your leg or whatever they've been fiddling around with i mean these guys are bloody heroes they're built differently aren't they and i hope you're not listening or watching this while having having your lunch or your dinner uh but if you are well there's a little insight into into just how riders are uh, are dealing with all the uh, various injuries that they cope with um all right then should we do some questions because we've got quite a lot that have come in um, here, there, and everywhere, because it's not long until we get the first race underway, and then I imagine it will be question after question on each race. So let's get through a few here uh, that we didn't get to last time. Rick has asked, if Peko is really an alien, do you think he could win races at the same pace on a 2015 Ducati GP15 alongside Mark Marquez and everyone else on the grid on older bikes? I think to start with, you've got to distinguish aliens. 
aliens are motorcycle racers or any other being if you like that do something that their peers can't understand that's the way i i work out an alien like freddie spencer when he he he's my first ever alien he did stuff with a motorbike that none of us as motorcycle racers of that generation could work out how he could do it and i think the same goes for casey stoner the same goes for mark marquez obviously valentino to a certain extent although i'd say valentino was a, a an alien by rights but perhaps not an alien in the way that he rode a motorbike so much he got it all worked out but there are some people that do things on a bike that you just can't work out how they do it so they're aliens so my first thing would be to say is bangnaya an alien now i think he's a bloody good motorbike racer but i'm not sure he's an alien yet pete <laughs> I, I, well i think that's a good i think yeah, that's a good point. You know, to, to to be an alien, if you like, you've got to consistently be way above everyone else on the same bike, haven't you? Uh, as a starter, almost. And then you've got, as Keith was mentioning, the detail of how you're doing that and the way that you're able to get that kind of advantage. And, uh, you know, Banyaya consistently is getting more from the Ducati than anyone else. There's no doubt about it. He's a special rider. Um, but time will tell if he's an alien, as Keith says, if he goes on to rack up, um, Ducati are backing him, aren't they? They're saying, look, you know, the best is yet to come. He can win many more titles. So, he, you know, there's a, he's got a lot of improving net to do, yet to potentially do anyway. He could win more titles and he's got the bike, the team, everything in place it's looking like. Let's see what uh, Mr. Mr. Bastianini and uh, the others have to say about that. But at the moment, it's all there for him to be, to be an alien in the future. But right now, yeah, it would be a big call to say, really any of the guys other than Mark, I think, as aliens at the moment. Mm. Um, could he, the question, could he be as, uh, as as dominant on a bike that that wasn't as good? I mean, he could he could well, definitely be the top Ducati, uh, if, if that's it. But then... Mark Marquez yeah. did things on a Honda that no one else could do. You know, even our own Cal Crutchlow used to look at his data and say, say how the hell does he do that? You know, that's an alien. Is is somebody that does something on on a motorbike that nobody else can do. No one else can understand. How is he doing that? Why? You know, how can that be? And I've not quite seen that in an A in uh, sorry in, in Peko yet. Um, he rides really, really, really well, and he's the world champion. And it seems almost disrespectful to say what I just said, but the point is, is that we'll see this year. Now that he's developed, now that he's got his head in line as well. Um, we've already been talking about confidence. Confidence you know, is a big thing. And let's see what he can do. If he can, if he can do something special on that motorbike that no one else can do, then he's in alien territory. Well, we wait to see. Thank you very much for the question, Rick. Uh, Gavin has asked, what track are you most looking forward to this year? Well, for me, Portimao straight away. I mean, the, the first yeah. one, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great racetrack. It's, it's, it's a great, you know, place to go racing at the time of the year as well. And I, I'm so happier, so much happier to see that one that is kicking off our year rather than Qatar. Um, although Qatar actually was quite good fun as well, but for other reasons. But I think Portugal is fantastic. I can't wait till we get to Silverstone. British Grand Prix, I'm sorry if, if you're listening to this out of, out of the UK. Um, that's a fantastic race as well. And fast. That is going to be so fast this year. So I'm hoping we have really, really glorious weather and uh, and... The place is full. So Silverstone, of course. Where else? Mugello is Mugello is my number one to get to the answer. Mugello there is my, we go. We my, got there in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Portugal, Portugal, I'm looking forward to because it's the first one. Silverstone because yeah. it's a home Grand Prix and it's a fast racetrack. But Mugello, you'd be hard pressed to beat Mugello. 
the whole atmosphere of the thing. Hopefully, they've got the prices right this year and we get the crowd back. Mm. But the Rossi effect, we saw, didn't we? Uh, and the lack of him could be a factor. I know we've got other Italians, but Rossi was the Italian. Uh, what about you, Pete? Um, I'm looking at, well, the tracks that Keith mentioned, but also specifically, I suppose, maybe seeing the sprint races at some mm. of those places. So all the tracks where we, we see great racing anyway, and I'd add Phillip Island into that as well, to see the sprint races, Assen also, you know, just guys going flat out from the start, those sort of tracks. So, you know, Silverstone, Assen, all the one, anywhere that brings a good race is, is what I'm looking forward to. Well, on, on that, actually, Kieran has sent a question. He's writing from the US. Hello, Kieran. Uh, I've been a MotoGP fan since 2003 but me- never been to a racetrack this year i have the opportunity to go to kota uh, for the race as this will be my first time watching a race from the circuit i'm unsure about what to expect do you guys have any tips for kota especially also is it worth getting a vip ticket i'm planning on spending the whole weekend not just the race there what do you reckon keith take your walking shoes and take a big bottle of water and some bits and pieces with you because it is a massive facility and there is so many places to go and watch uh kota is a great racetrack it's a great facility um it's like everything in america everything's bigger in america and it really is literally you've got the atmosphere of uh oh i forgot the name of the bloody street now that's uh, that's um, in in austin itself that's sixth street is the the main one through uh, Rainy Rainy Street, that's it. Rainy Street is where there's lots of bars and stuff like that. The atmosphere in Austin generally is is really, really good on and off track. So you'll need your endurance um, set up because <laughs> you're going you're gonna to drink more than you've ever drunk. You're going to walk more than you've ever walked, and the racing is fast. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great racetrack, it's, and there are lots of places that you can, you can watch from. that are, They've got great spectator banking. So you haven't got to be in the front two rows to be able to see anything. You know, you've got plenty of, you can look down on the track from, from lots of different places as well. And they have some good bands there usually over, over the weekend. So, you know, the, they've got a big stage area underneath that great big bloody monolith in the middle of the track. Um, so there are a lot of opportunities to have a really good time at, uh, at Kota. And mm. strangely as well, it, it seems America seems to have gone downhill when it comes to customer service over the years. Sorry for saying that, but it seems like you walk into an airport and you don't get any help anymore. Everyone's, you know, not very friendly and not very helpful, except at Kota. The staff there and the volunteers there and the people there are really, really helpful. You know, if you want to know about anything or if you want to see something or if you want to go somewhere, there's a load of what looks like volunteer staff that will will help you tremendously. It's a bit old-fashioned America for me. Um, which is, I'm really pleased to report. Oh, I'm, I'm talking to the CEO of Kota next week, so I'll feed that back. Uh- <laughs> well, there you go. You'll get a free lunch out of that comment then, won't you? I hope so. Yeah, Kieran, I'll, I'll <laughs> ask him as well, see what he thinks. He, you, he'll probably say a weekend ticket, uh, a VIP ticket. But um, thank you very much for your question. I'm desperate to go to Kota anyway. Hopefully I can tweet to this guy, get me a, give me a free ticket. That'd be fun. Um Let's end with this voice question from, which I think Keith will like, we'll see, from uh, Ferdous, I believe, in India. Have a listen to this. Hello, Harry, Pete and Keith. It's Ferdous Ahmed from Dinajpur, Bangladesh. I have a question for Keith. Keith, is there any possibility that you might come back to MotoGP commentary? Um, Because back in the day when you were commentating on MotoGP, it was very, very exciting to listening to you. 
MotoGP is missing that element today. You know, uh, sport thrives onto the quality of more uh, commentators. Uh, like football, we have Peter Drury, we have Ray Hudson. Their commentary are so exciting that we can listen to their commentary all day long. So MotoGP needs a commentator like you, Keith. Thank you. I had to pay him a lot well, of money for that. Yeah, well, no, I was going to say I'm embarrassed now, and that's very rare that I get embarrassed. Well, look, thank you very much for those very kind comments. I would love to come back and do MotoGP commentary. Um, but to be absolutely frank with you, things have moved on a little bit. There are a lot of changes that have gone on behind the scenes in broadcasting. Um, I've made comments about broadcasting in our last podcast in that uh, budgets and diversification and so on and so forth um, are paramount nowadays. Um, the days where everybody was on site commentating and presenting are in their, I think they're, they're death throes. I think we are getting to the point where we are not going to have commentators and presenters at every single race meeting moving forward. And from my own personal point of view, I wouldn't want to do it like that. Um, mm. So I've kind of ruled myself out of, of a comeback on that basis if there was a comeback available to me, which there isn't, by the way. Um, there is no, no job in the offing. But I think that the way things are moving broadcast-wise are not as as much fun for the broadcasters as they've perhaps been in the past it's quite intense um and budgets are shrinking uh, on-site work is is changing it's going to be a very very fast furious year this year so if your commentators don't get pumped up about it right in and have a go at them um they do need to pick the pace up occasionally i think what happens is with a lot of these things teams get lazy you know teams get used to the sound of their own voice producers aren't as hard on people anymore because you end up with the the mental health issues that you're not allowed as a producer to bang the drum and say, come on, get a, get your finger out, Hewan, and give us what you're good at. They don't do any of that anymore. Commentators are pretty much waffling on and doing their own thing without any interference from producers. We all know whether it's good or it's bad or it's not, not as good as it used to be. Um, but there aren't the producers around with the balls to make it work um, like it used to. There's no one banging the drum like they used to. Um, you pretty much are left to your own devices as a commentator. And I think sometimes that's not a good thing. I think that you can get a little bit lax sometimes. You perhaps don't make as much effort with your homework that you... I mean, I look at the homework I do when I join you two. It's ridiculous for a podcast that, you know, that I'm doing in my front room. I've looked at all the sheets. I've looked at... And I've done like bloody three hours worth of prep um, when really... And you were still late. Yeah, I was late. <laughs> I do apologise. I was late. <laughs> I'd like to say it was because I was doing prep. It wasn't because I thought we were at four o'clock, not three o'clock. <laughs> but oh. but I think that I get what he's saying. The excitement. I don't understand why comments. If it's false, if it's not passionate, then then it's not good commentary. I mean, it's got to come from the heart. But you've got to have the knowledge. You've got to put the work in as well. And I used to love that. And I still do, you know, like it's, it's, it's motorbike racing is me. It always has been, you know, I've done cars and I've done other bits and pieces as well, but bike racing is where it's at. And it always will be to the day I die. Um, but I don't think I'm coming back, unfortunately. Lucky well, for I you, wonder, lot. I, I wonder if we could persuade the bosses and you, maybe what about how people feel like a, a crash alternative commentary from Keith Ewan? Maybe well, we could do a one-off, me and we Pete. Do- 
Yeah, I, I will, I'm, I'll be useless, so you guys can say it. <laughs> well, you, yeah, you can be our foil. We can, Every now and again, we can get a four-wheel type comment in there. Exactly, just bring me He's in. He's opened his One, DRS. What does that well, mean? You might, you might well need that. I Soon. think you know, let, let's see if there's an appetite for it. Let us know in the comments. Would you want? Do you want an alternative commentary from Keith this year? We'll see. We'll see if we can get that off the ground. Um, love thank you very much, though, uh, Fadiz uh, from Bangladesh. Appreciate you sending in your message um, and all of your messages. Thank you so much for coming in uh, and sending them to us. It's podcast at crash.net. That's where you can email us your thirty-second uh, voice note, or you can send us a question at the old-fashioned way by writing it, or in the comment section on YouTube and uh, Crash Motor. GP on all the social medias we'll leave it there for this week we'll be back fairly soon previewing round one we've got all our predictions to make Keith and Pete are going to go away and do their homework and see who they think is going to be world champion uh, and we're going to be asking you as well at home who you think as well so uh, that and more we'll also have a little look ahead at Moto2 and Moto3 which I know we've not touched on too much so we'll have a little preview of that as well coming up throughout this season and of course with every race weekend we'll be looking back at those right Keith, Pete, thank you very much for your company. Thank you for watching or listening wherever you are. Make sure you're tuned in across Crash.net for all the latest news and analysis across the week. And as I say, we'll be back with you next week. Leave us a review wherever you get your podcast, especially on Apple and Spotify. It really helps. And we'll see you here next week. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.